0: Aloha everyone, I'm your host Christina Lainey-Mitri and welcome to Smart Living Hawaii's podcast where we discuss smart homes and technology, sustainability, healthy lifestyles and smart business. Today we will continue our Sustainable Leaders series and have a talk story with Kevin Newt, a professor and an architect who brings health and well-being into a home and workplace through design. It's a very interesting concept and our goal today is to explain this mostly visual concept through words on a podcast for our listeners. So, aloha, Kevin.
1: Aloha, Christina.
0: Hi, Um, thanks for joining. Today we're actually doing a Zoom recording. Uh, We do have this being recorded for audio strip and also uh, video. We'll see if we're going to be posting the video or not, but we definitely will have it for the podcast. So before we begin, I always like to share um, our guest speaker's bio. And here's a really short one, really quick. Kevin teaches the history and theory of architecture at the University of Hawaii, Manoa. He received his architectural training at the University of Nottingham before working in practice in London, Hong Kong, and Singapore and earning his PhD at the University of Cambridge. We also have um, here that Kevin spent his earlier career in Japan, first as a visiting research scholar at the University of Tokyo, and later as an associate professor at Muro Muro. Mudo, how do you say that? <laughs> Mudo... um,
1: um, uh, Muro Moran, uh, most Japanese don't even know that term, right? Yeah. Muro
0: Yeah, I wasn't too sure which one to roll. Institute of Technology. He has won numerous architecture awards and prizes. He's an author, and we will go into detail on one of his Books called Naturally Animated Architecture. And it's a really cool book. It does have visual aids with it. And we're, we're going to, um, we will put it on for the video portion of this. And um, you'll also have the website as well later that you can go check out as well. So let's dive into Kevin. And with our listeners, we always like to say, Uh, Growing up, family-wise, and a lot of um, your background, I usually like to ask that question with you. So, um, where Hmm. did you grow up?
1: Uh, Some people say I haven't yet, but uh, I'll I'll, I'll cross over that. Uh, uh, Theoretically in the southwest of England, uh, so the little peninsula that juts out into the the Pacific below Wales, a place called Cornwall. Uh, That's the county anyway.
0: Awesome. And um, what does Kevin like to do for fun?
1: Um, I like to do this kind of thing for fun. Talk about my work. (laughs) That's kind of a sad commentary on an academic, I suppose. But uh, um, uh, I like team sports, you know, uh, watching them, you know. So uh, because I'm from the UK, then um, soccer is a big deal. Rugby, anything with a ball in it, I'll other than golf i'll watch uh, so um uh i still follow you know after the news it's the bbc sport website is the next one i go to yeah to this awesome. day oh yeah
0: well so family here in hawaii or is everybody um in a
1: different country? yeah i've uh, I no family here um uh i have um one sister in florida and uh uh, one brother in Asia, and everyone else is in the UK. So I have a total of um, six siblings, very lucky. So three brothers and three sisters. So.
0: How has it i during Six COVID, or seven. Were you able to, have you been able to see anybody?
1: No, it's been uh, bizarre. I've only been here two years, uh, and uh, oh, really? it's been, well, 18 months of COVID, you know. So um, I've seen a lot of my apartment, but <laughs> not much else. So, so i got a lot of work done. But uh, I am looking forward to actually uh, getting out a bit more, put it that way.
0: Awesome. Well, let's just dive into um, my question I usually ask most of our guests is, how did you get into the sustainable world? Because I know we first met um, with a group that's working with Bamboo. And um, its sustainable measures. So I'm assuming, besides just architecture, you have a heart for sustainability. So I was curious as to yeah. what brought you to that this world of sustainability. And um, really- yeah, uh,
1: it's yeah, it's a great question. Uh, it it's inevitable, you know. That I think uh, in almost every profession now, especially given what yesterday's announcements. Uh, um, I, it's impossible to con- just continue the way you are in any profession, I'd, I'd argue, and ignore, you know, the stark kind of circumstances that we find ourselves in. So architecture has been talking about these issues for at least two decades or more. Um, uh, and it's become um, a dominant topic because, and rightly so, because unless we address it, in in every field, then there will be nothing to address. So um, uh, it's my take on it is that it's an extremely serious topic and but it doesn't have to necessarily be or to lack enjoyment or fun. In other words, uh, you know, there are different ways of approaching a serious topic and I prefer to do it um, not to make it trivial, but to make it um, I don't know, um, poetic in the way that it's introduced, but it doesn't change the seriousness of of what we're talking about.
0: Correct. So what we are going to tackle today is, um, you are well into architecture and it's actually, I would say within the sustainable world, a lot of what we're looking at on the real estate side is a green home with energy efficiencies, um, a high performance home, I mean, you've got the solar, you have, you know, the air quality control, you've got, you know, all of these uh, smart features that, you know, add to a high performance home, and um, even the way that you, you know, design the home to take in the natural elements, so this is gonna be a different topic and a very, I would say a new one for a lot of people in this green space and even green builders. And I think um, this is why I'm really interested in sharing it because it's a concept that is new um, to most people, but it has been around for a while and it makes sense. So I guess if we can just dive right in to mm. um what it is that we're talking about? Um, I believe the the book that you wrote, the naturally animated architecture. Could you just give a short description of, yep. of this so people understand?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm really tempted to share my screen, um, but clearly uh, people are not going to be able to see that on the podcast. But what I'm really advocating is um, that the um, the weather has typically been perceived as, especially in other parts of the world, um, less so in in Hawaii, but still to a large degree, as the enemy, quotes. um, You know, something that architecture is designed to shelter us from and protect us from. And that hasn't changed, of course, but it's a a massive oversimplification. Um, The argument of the book is that there are many elements of the atmosphere outside that we as a species have become physiologically dependent upon and to make a hard line between indoor space and outdoor space means that, sure, we're protected from extremes, but we're also throwing the baby out with the bathwater, so to speak. We're denying ourselves some important um, things that we actually need to sustain our well-being, like direct contact with wild nature, and perceptible change and those are things that there's plenty of research been done on that we need psychologically and physiologically and that we go out of our way to seek you know we go to the beach we go to the mountains etc etc and i'm arguing well when we can't go to the beach or go to the mountains for whatever reason can architecture actually invite those things in and I have shown in the book, um, lots of practical ways that we can do that without sacrificing our shelter.
0: Yes, and let's see, I guess, to put it into perspective is, I mean, the way when you were explaining it to me and the way I kind of see what you mean by um, this type of architecture or a way that you can add these elements into your living space or perhaps an office space that doesn't have these natural elements. Um, I think it would be like how you everybody would have to or need that connection to nature, right? Or be able to live and breathe it. And like, what's the number one, um, you know, I guess punishment when you're in jail, right? It's like being put in the hole, right? So, I mean, that would exactly. yeah. be the yeah. most um, best example.
1: Yeah. 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 I, I know it's a, it's a, it's a, it's one I've I've often used um, the technical term for that is um, sensory sensory deprivation and it was uh, a torture of choice uh, for all I know might still be um, where you you know you basically deny people any knowledge of day and night and uh, they get no change in their environment And they slowly go nuts, you know, not surprisingly, because we are designed to be in sync with our environment. And when you deny people those connections, you know, um, they start hallucinating and they become very susceptible to being, I don't know, uh, persuaded, put it that way. Um, Now, I'm not arguing that architecture subjects us to sensory deprivation, but I am arguing that it subjects us unintentionally to persistent sensory restriction. Which is kind of shocking in itself. In other words, uh, without knowing it, uh, a lot of the spaces that we occupy, and we occupy indoor spaces now, well over 90% of our lives. Okay, which is probably surprising to most people. And so after before COVID.
0: Or after COVID.
1: <laughs> uh, that was before COVID. That was in the 90s, and that was the EPA's number, right? You can imagine, and irrespective of COVID, with this generation who spend more time online you know the number of hours outdoors is shrinking and shrinking
0: mm-hmm.
1: which makes indoor environments all the more important because that's really the human environment now you know the amount of time that we spend in the original environment that we evolved evolved in is now a tiny fraction of our lives where well, you've got a species that was evolved to thrive in an environment like the one outside and now that species has decided for social and cultural reasons to spend the vast majority of their existence in a completely artificial environment. And not surprisingly, that something has to give because it's imperfectly adapted indoors is not outdoors. So the argument that I'm making is, can we make indoors still protect us still enable us to do things, you know, without getting wet and feeling uncomfortable, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera, but without um, denying ourselves the perceptible change, which is big element of the outdoor world that we are designed to respond to. And this connection with wild nature that we seem to crave. In other words, um, we can bring potted plants and a tank of fish, uh, you know, a pet dog or cat into our indoor environments, of course, and they help. There's plenty of evidence that they do help, but they're not the same as the experience, of going uh, and immersing yourself in a wild environment where, you know, the critters don't depend on us. You know, the environment existed before us and will exist after us. And it's a it's a rather different experience and one that we seem to enjoy. Um, I think the, the technical term for that is the sublime, where it makes us feel that we are not in control, you know. And the weather is one of the, well, it is by and by far and large, the um, the largest wilderness on our planet. You know, we people talk about wilderness areas, but they neglect the fact that our atmosphere is one continuous wilderness. We share it. We're in the process of damaging it, of course, um, but it is extraordinary because it is out of our control, as it's demonstrated. Right. So there's a good side to that 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 wildness can be something that we can we can actually benefit from. And that's what um, I'm trying to do in, in this, in this um, research.
0: Okay. So what I wanted to go into was, now that you kind of explained um, what it is we're talking about, about bringing the nature into our space, because in general, architecture was created to keep out the earth elements um to protect us from it right so we can you know not get rain on our heads and you know the wind isn't cold or the snow outside which obviously we don't tackle which ends up being for the majority of the world something they have to deal with every year um not only that but it probably keeps them indoors (laughs) For a big portion of that that time during the winter, so um, then they can't go out and they can't um, do what it is we could probably do every day. Although us, we have to schedule it. I mean, we I I have to schedule going on a trail run this morning just to get outdoors and absorb that feeling. Yep. Um, whereas some people, there's not necessarily the time of day. So, um, could you give us some examples? Of of ways that you can maybe either you're doing it yourself, or you know maybe even an architect would put this um, this concept into play on you know something they're they're creating or they're going to build for somebody.
1: Yeah. Um, again, I'm 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 aware of the fact that most people are not seeing visual images, but I, I hope that the video of this will be shown. It might be easier for me to describe. Um, while we're looking at something. Is that okay, Christina, yeah, if I shared my screen right now? Um, okay, let me just show you. This okay. is a... a this For those a-
0: of you that are not, um, that are obviously listening to the podcast, if you're not driving and you're listening to the podcast at home, you can go to this website, which is www.vitalarchitecture.org. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Thanks, Christina. And then
0: you will be able to see, it's almost, it's like a maybe a, Two and a half minute um, right. flip through of a book that he wrote that has video, um, you know, video. Right. Let me
1: let me. Uh, um, you'll see exactly the same video as the one I'm going to talk over right now. But um, so when this one starts, so these these are extracts from the book, and there are videos in the book. It's a it's an ebook as well as a print book. Um, and um, the videos in the print book you can uh, access via a smartphone but all of these images are examples of natural change in this case there are the wind animated foliage for example being back projected or projected onto indoor spaces sorry we've got some sounds in the background here Um, and So the movements then um, that would normally be outside can be effectively brought indoors, Uh, not the actual wind, but movements created by the wind. Uh, We're now looking at some examples of of wind affecting um, water and then reflections off that water being projected into indoor spaces. So what I'm talking about is bringing the movement of the weather, in this case, the wind indoors without necessarily bringing the wind itself in unless it's welcome. So if, if you're in Pittsburgh and it's midwinter, you may not want the wind, but you could still get the movement of the wind without sacrificing your your protection from the weather. Um, likewise with, with sunlight, you know, um, in a very hot climate, you may not want that. Oops, okay. We'll stop the sound on that. Um, so rainwater harvesting, which is what you've just been listening to, uh, is another um, example where, uh, that local harvesting of rainwater for local use, rather than it being centralized, um, can be made visible. And the change, uh, the movements of rainfall can effectively be brought indoors again by light projection, either sunlight or after dark by artificial light projecting that uh, movement into indoor spaces. So I'm very aware of the fact that um, um, the video makes a lot more sense than, than a verbal description, but basically, I'm using the apertures of a building, the windows, et cetera, um, to filter change that's naturally in the outdoor weather, the movement of the wind, rainfall, uh, the movement of sunlight, um, and to bring in that movement without necessarily bringing in the sunlight directly or bringing in the wind directly, or certainly not bringing in the rain directly So I'm basically, um, as I said, filtering uh, and extracting that natural movement. And that natural movement is very special because it doesn't distract our conscious attention. Uh, Unlike artificial change, um, a baby's cry, a human voice, a siren, that's designed to get our attention. And it does. And it's very distracting. Whereas we don't stop what we're doing when we see the movement of the wind in a tree right? We're so used to that, that it can keep us stimulated, it kind of keeps us ticking over, it keeps us at our attention active. Um, But it does not distract us from whatever it is we're trying to do learn or do a job or whatever. And that's a key part of this research is to say, you know, um, uh, that natural change is special, because it has this capacity to renew us. And there is an area of research called attention restoration theory that has shown that exposure to nature renews our ability to um, concentrate to focus uh, and it does so according to the theory because it doesn't tax our conscious concentration then whereas other things we have to focus on i'm not sure if that makes sense to you uh, your listeners sort uh, uh sorry uh, christina
0: yeah Um, I think you did a very good job. And I guess a lot of this type of movement, if you haven't saw, didn't see it on the actual video part of it, is it's all, it's a lot of shadows, I would say, of things that are happening, like, you know, when there's wind blowing, and it's a fern that's in the background, and the shadows that are up on the wall, and that is something maybe happening outside but it's coming in. And so there's a lot of these type of, um, I would say passive, like subconscious things that are, that are going on and whether we realize it or not, this actually helps maybe our brain in some capacity to um, maybe help us if we're you know in a work environment and um, our boss wants us to keep working and not take that 15 minute break. I don't know, maybe it'll help on that. <laughs> or maybe you have a deadline to do and you need to concentrate. Right. And maybe this helps a little bit more than um, getting out for that yeah. extra 15 minutes that you may need. Um, and and there's studies that show this. So that's um, a little bit of, I guess, my interpretation of what you're, you're um, trying to get across.
1: <laughs> no, that's, that's exactly right. We, we did experiments on this and uh, we were able to show that um, these natural patterns of movement uh, calmed people, their heart rates were um, uh, statistically lower, and they were also able to focus, they performed better on uh, attention uh, uh, tasks than when they either didn't have any um, stimulation or there was an artificial stimulation. So it isn't just theoretical that we did, Mm -hmm. uh, we did a series of experiments.
0: Awesome. Um, And these most likely for the passive subconscious type of um, sensories that I know we were discussing before when we had met, um, we're, we're basically audio, visual, and possibly smell, right? Depending yep. on the smell. Um, and maybe you could explain why touch and taste wouldn't really apply.
1: Yeah, um, it's a great question, uh, uh, Christina. The, um, we have three, the body has three. Um, technically remote senses right sight um hearing and the olfactory um and um it has to be remote right because you know the whole point is if we want to be sheltered from the weather we can't be directly in the weather right so you know um otherwise there's no point in having architecture just go outside and stand in the rain or stand in the wind and you know that's uh, good
0: a lot of if you didn't see the video audio you know the audio I and mean, in the video of what you guys have, um, you do uh, these type of um, where you're bringing these elements in. It's also not just an architectural design. It's, it's, it's almost like an art and it's very yeah. pleasing to the eye and, you know, it catches um, it's aesthetically pleasing. So, you know, yeah. it's almost like add in, add on architectural design that, you know,
1: yeah i mean in a way you could liken it uh, uh christina to natural painting you know um where the architecture or the uh a blind inside the glass right is actually being and and we've all seen these effects uh, serendipitously you know by accident and i'm basically saying well we could actually make this happen by design right uh But um, if you've ever seen the silhouettes of foliage on the back of blinds, you know, it's kind of like a natural painting, right? I mean, and it's, it's animated because the wind is moving the tree, you know, so it's, it's even better than 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 a static artificial painting, because we don't know when the sun will go back in and the image will get faint or even disappear. And we don't know when the wind, so it has dimensions to it that regular art wouldn't have, right? It's it's an animated, um, but it has this key component that the movement we know is naturally gener- generated. And we did experiments where we, um, we set up an artificially generated tree, right? A digital tree uh, and a naturally wind generated one. And people were not able to tell the difference hmm. between the, but when we told them that one was natural and one was mathematically generated, their perceptions of, of which they liked, not surprisingly, completely reversed. You right? know, And so um, it's not just that natural movement has these positive effects. Um, we can replicate that artificially, but once somebody experiencing that understands that this has been artificially replicated, the positive benefits are much reduced, right? Um, it's but the, it the analogy I, yeah.
0: to really use the natural elements as to your benefit as much as you possibly can versus replicating, unless that is your only alternative.
1: Right. I mean, uh, you put it perfectly, uh, uh, Christina, because uh, you know, the analogy I usually use is when you notice a beautiful flower, you walk up to it and then you see the giveaway plastic little nib where it was put in the mold. And most of us go, oh, oh, it's fake, right? And our opinion of it drops. But from a distance, we were completely fooled. So you can replicate it, but once we know we don't value that flower and we don't value the movement the same as if we know that it's being naturally, and and it's, it's as if we don't trust ourselves, but we trust nature and we trust something that has been that is independent of us, then. Um, And the only the the place where this the artificial could be very, very useful is, if you're traveling in space, and you're not, you don't have real wind and rain available, you know, but other than that, uh, I think there's a strong argument, as you've said, for for using natural movement, wherever you can, you know, there are things you can buy expensive, artificial windows that will give you a view of anywhere in the world, you know, you could live in Pittsburgh and have a view of Hawaii and have it, you know, have the wind and the, um, but you would know that you're not in Hawaii, and that would have a big effect on its <laughs> benefits, I think. You know. In fact, yeah. I know.
0: Totally understand. So with the, with the touch and taste side of things, I guess where I was going is that those things are not passive or subconscious. You actually, as a person, right, would have to have to stop what you're doing if you were working. Oh, yeah. My
1: apologies, uh, Christina. Yeah, I went off on a tangent there, but you're right. Yes. uh, um, Yeah, I, uh, they, they do require active, um, you were using the word passive in a way that I, that I'm not familiar with, but I should know. Uh, But but the, um, yes, they require you stopping what you're doing, right? Whereas we hear and we smell um, uh, and um, uh, um, and see, yeah, thank you for that, I was missing one, um, without, without having to stop. There is a connection, though. There's something very special about the fact that we are a seeing species. Your dog, my dog, when I had a dog, um, you know, they are primarily a nose-on- four legs right um whereas you know we are we are seeing creatures and um so there's a reason why most of the movement that i'm encouraging to come indoors is visual i'm aware that some people wouldn't be able to see that and you know so sound could be very important um for them but um but the visual is, is democratic. We can look away if we find it distracting or we don't want to look at it and we can even close our eyes. Whereas if a sound comes into a space, our body is not equipped with anything of its own own that will, you know, apart from covering our ears with our hands. Right. Um, or, or, a, or a smell. Um, so everybody needs to be on the same page. If you let a sound in, everybody needs to be cool in that space with that sound. Right. Um, Wind chimes, for example, right? Some people like wind chimes. I'm not a fan myself. They're naturally generated, but it's an unnatural sound in many cases, and I find it distracting, right? I don't, I don't find the sound of the wind in palm trees or or any other kind of tree distracting because I'm so used to it. But that, but the artificial sound of a wind chime. So, um, and that was where I, I kind of misunderstood your question. But, uh, but yes. Um, So the visual is the most important. Sound would probably be the the next most important, particularly after dark, when obviously um, it becomes more difficult to see change in the environment. You can do it with artificial light.
0: So I would just assume then, and I was gonna ask this question early on, but I forgot to, is if you had to say goodbye to one of your senses, what would it be?
1: Wow, what a question. That's a great question. Um, wow, that's so difficult. Um,
0: I know, right? I had to think about this too, because we were talking, last time we talked, it made me think That's like this. That's
1: like asking me oh, which eye I, I, which, which I prefer, you know, was like, I like them both, you know. If you had um, to
0: pick the most important one to you, what would it be?
1: Oh, well, the visual, I think, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Uh, for the reasons I've just explained, the visual um so tactile and then I think tactile might be what was the other one taste no I couldn't get rid of taste I think it might be tactile I I feel sad I mean you know uh, yeah I mean even
0: I couldn't get rid of
1: (laughs) what would you get rid of I mean
0: touch that if you got rid of
1: what would you get rid of
0: I would get rid of taste I was thinking about it and it was going to have to be taste which is very sad but
1: well, there's a lot of people out there who could probably tell you exactly what that feels like right now. So you might want to consult. consult I know. After
0: a lot of people lost their sense of taste from COVID, right? You know
1: what? That, that, that's a great answer. I should have said that. You know, we should rewind and I say taste because I'm English and you know we don't really care about food, you know. So.
0: I mean, maybe I might lose weight if I lost my sense of taste.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a good, yeah. That's a, uh, I, I, your answer is way better than mine. I, I Well, your. I had
0: a little time to think about it. I didn't I didn't pre uh, give you these questions. That's a
1: great question. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna ask my students that right off the bat and just watch. That
0: would be a really good yeah, it would be a good icebreaker for the start of well, if you Absolutely. have Absolutely.
1: I'm gonna definitely use that. <laughs>
0: um so, anyways, I was just trying to break things up here and um, let's see, I was trying to dive into a couple more things before we jump off. Let's see. I had, I had taken so many notes when we last spoke because I was learning so much. So I wanted to make sure we cover a lot of this stuff because it was things that I didn't, I think a lot of this is, isn't so much that we didn't know about it. It's just, we didn't realize that this could have an impact On our well being, right?
1: And yeah, I think that's different. I think that's enormously important. Um, There is one thing um, that I wanted to get across, uh, Christina, is that there are these psychological and physiological benefits that have been proven of bringing natural change into our environment. Otherwise, the brain, rather like a computer, will just go to sleep or start daydreaming. So it needs to be regularly stimulated otherwise we're designed to say well nothing is changing in this environment i'm just going to go to sleep or i'm going to start thinking about what i did yesterday it's hard to focus we're not we don't we're not designed naturally to spend eight hours sat in one place focusing on one thing you know that's a machine it's not a human being so if you force a human being to do that they're either going to be goofing off or they're going to be taking regular breaks to self-medicate gaze out the window go to the bathroom have another cup of coffee, answer their email for the 20th time in an hour, whatever we do, right? We're just, you know, we can't focus. So what the weather, what natural change can do is to reboot, give us a little micro rest so that we can continue um, without real, without really being consciously distracted. But there's another component as well as the psychological and physiological benefits that are proven of bringing natural change into what, if you look around you now, I guarantee that most of your listeners, the space they are in, apart from their own movement, is completely static. And that is absolutely not the environment that human beings are supposed to be in. And that describes 99.9999 recurring percent of all indoor spaces in, in the world, right? You know, so there's a huge mismatch between the living organism and the environment that we now put that living organism into. So what I'm saying is, hey, we can recalibrate and we can bring the indoor environment. We're not going to make it exactly the same as outside. Otherwise, why have a building? But we can bring elements, we can bring much more than we currently do of of the outdoor atmosphere. And that enables us to, to remain happy psychologically and physiologically healthy when we can't get out and self medicate by going to the beach or the mountains or going for a hike or whatever because we've got other
0: down i wrote down some of these that you had mentioned and things that i've thought of too um that may be things that you know everyone could incorporate themselves or or not so um you had maybe you can chat on this one but you had last time spoke about micro courtyards and how oh, yeah. That-
1: yeah. 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 Um, so there are three distinct ways. And I could share something else with your, well, there'll be viewers, uh, um, I hope.
0: Uh, what about a sound of a fan?
1: Artificial. So, you know, we don't associate that with nature. That's an artificial sound. But
0: would, right? would you say... Because some people just white noise in general is helpful to them, and why is that?
1: Uh, I, I think white noise white noise might help you to sleep, or it could be um, that it's um, unintelligible and that we're not searching for meaning in it. Right. N- normally, if we know that something is artificially generated generated by a human being, we're programmed. We're wired. To search for meaning, which is why, if you've ever been in an environment where somebody's speaking a foreign language that you don't understand, it's really distracting because your brain is trying to extract information because we're programmed to do that, but we can't, right? Um, whereas we don't ex- attempt to extract information from white noise or the sound, you know, the, the breeze in the trees. Um, uh that's my best guess i'm i'm not a psychologist but i work with several um, what about, um, um
0: waterfalls and you know those waterfalls yeah. that people yeah um
1: yeah they 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 definitely um uh they're natural um you know the sound of falling water um it would would count as as natural um micro courtyards going back to the, the your, your question christina um can be really useful i mean there's there there's an example Traditional example in Japanese architecture called the subo niwa, which uh, subo is a is two tatami mats and niwa means garden, and so these are tiny gardens that you that were not designed for you to actually get into, except to take care of plants, which you did once in a blue moon, but to sit around and look into, right? So they could be just uh, six feet by six feet, right? Um, and uh, but it was a way that the wind or the rain could be brought into the middle of a long urban house, and and it was a way of kind of getting your fill or contact with nature in the middle of a dense city, and you know that could still be done. It can still be done, and of course we could put a a pane of glass around it. If you were in Pittsburgh, you know you probably would want to do that, maybe too. Um, but uh, but in some places, you you know during the summer you could open it up. But the point is, if it's glazed, it would feel the the movement. Of the rain of the wind of the sun in that space would feel to all intents and purposes like it was indoors even though it's actually on the other side of the glass so it's very different from seeing it you know out there and if the courtyard is small enough and it's and the glazing is open uh, open in the sense of it's not broken up with lots of glazing bars etc it can really feel like it's indoors i do wish i could illustrate this in fact i might let me just uh one One more sharing here because it's a great way to um, see that. Um, So these are the three examples, and you can see the courtyard on the left. um, And this is a traditional Japanese uh, tsuboniwa. So the movement of those bamboos, uh, you know, it really, even when the glazing is pulled across. Uh, it really feels like it's part of the interior space it's so small then on in the middle um, is outdoor movement of foliage wind animated movement being projected onto an indoor space and then on the right what we were talking about a bit earlier uh christina um this is uh the movement of of plants several yards away but it's being projected by the sun onto this blind which is inside the space so all three of these i would argue um, uh, are perceived as being indoors, even when they're actually, technically they're not. Um, I'm gonna stop sharing, yeah.
0: So the courtyard that you were showing was um, like that micro courtyard. Was it actually an inside courtyard with like, you know, I guess the lighting on the top was um, what keeps it alive, I guess, versus-
1: no, No, that, that courtyard was outdoors. Um, oh, okay. In fact, it, uh, it's very subtle, but it was actually raining, which is what was making those bamboos move. So it's you could see it was very, very small, but it was outdoor space. But it was outdoor space that was surrounded by indoor space. And when you get... It has to be small, right, um, compared to the indoor space. Otherwise, it just feels like it's outdoors, right? But if you get that, if you compress that outdoor space enough and you surround it by indoor space, it actually feels like it's part of the indoor space.
0: Yeah. Well, I had a listing um, not too long ago and it was Ozzy Puff was the architect. And, oh, cool. and um, the neat thing about this one, a lot of his work he does, um, he brings the outdoor in and indoor out or, you know, yeah. having the doors all open up to, you know, courtyards and everything, but he did do a neat, I'll send you the photo uh, so you can Me see. Too, it. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: he did do a neat... Indoor um, kind of setup where when you walk in, it has a sunken living room, and from the sunken living room behind it, it has um, plants and um, rocks and everything there, and it's actually all inside. And above that, that rocks and the the plants, there's a um, glass top to it. And yeah, I, so I I don't, the don't
1: know the particular building, but that sounds, I would love to see that. Um,
0: yeah, so it's a really neat, not only that, but there's an actual window to that living room from the master bathroom. So when you're in the master bathroom and you're looking out, it looks like you're looking outside, but you're actually uh, in yeah. the living room. So you would actually close it up a lot because then people would see you. In yeah, the, yeah. But the concept, you're looking outdoors and you feel like you're out, like you're looking outside, but you're actually looking into the living room.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. interesting. I have not seen that. But I mean, there is a a concept of sort of indoor landscapes. It's usually not quite so literal as that. But I am I'm actually arguing um, that um, there's no there's nothing like the real thing, the real natural outdoor, you know, that you can have a plant. But that plant isn't going to move naturally unless it's exposed to the wind or the rain or whatever, right? So so I would strongly, you know, prefer that um, that, that movement be generated naturally and come indoors through visual or acoustic projection rather than because I, I can guarantee you that the plants that you're describing, it's not a critique of Ossipov, but but they're not gonna move naturally. Right. Unless, of course, you open up all the windows and then well, the window.
0: Puff is very well known for great ventilation and he built that home yeah. for that. So I'm sure yeah. that on a on a breezy day that.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, that that would work. Absolutely. And that's that brings me to a really important point. Um, I mean, that can be done. Absolutely. And should be. Uh, in, I've never turned on my air conditioning uh, for the last 18 months at least um, here because I don't need it you know, uh, what is it now? It's 80, 82, 83 degrees. And I'm perfectly comfortable here with the breeze that you can see. Right. And the window is wide open and I, I'm lucky enough to have good cross ventilation. So I don't need it. And yet I'm surrounded by people that are running their ACs. Right. Which is not only not good for them because they're running them through ducts that are full of dust, et cetera, in many cases and other pathogens but uh extremely bad for the planet and this is being replicated and it's about to be exceeded in places like china and the rest of asia who basically say well yeah we just put a box on here and we don't see the consequences of what it's actually doing to the environment you know not only is it pumping out hot air but it is uh you know the generation of that electricity is contributing greenhouse gases as well. So that brings me to it's
0: pretty crazy over there with their air quality as well, where you almost want to have yeah. AC at this point. So it does. Yeah, it's a,
1: it's a double edged thing. I mean, uh, I, I'm i with you. You it's it, we are very fortunate, right, we um, that, that we can open up the windows and we're not going to, you know, associate ourselves with. Right. And I totally agree. Uh, there are uh, places in the world You know, the answer to that is not to say, well, too bad, let's just ruin the environment more. It's clean up those sources of fossil fuels so that everybody, you know, it would be a virtuous circle. First of all, you clean the air so people can open up their windows so they don't run the AAC rather than the vicious circle where you're going to go, well, the air is disgusting, so I'm going to have a super duper and make it worse. Eventually, you're going to have to go outdoors and you're going to be breathing What are you going to do wear a spaceman suit you know that's where we're going (laughs) right because the air is a disgusting soup of toxins so you know to me the ultimate solution is we've got to protect that wilderness out there the atmosphere not the green stuff without the stuff that we can't see right the transparent atmosphere that makes our planet blue um without that there's no green at all right so the most important wilderness is the one that we don't actually see, but it's moving and, and, and it's wild, right? Um,
0: oh, but one uh, more thing before we you know, jump off, I um, thought was very interesting because the, and then you can explain this in more detail, but um, what's been coming up more frequently now, I would say, in the green space um, and green building is the biophilic design. Yeah. Um, and so I know you had a different take on that. And since you're talking about the atmosphere, maybe you yeah. could, um, add, add on to, to, Buffett.
1: yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. I mean, I, um, of course, biophilia. you know, the love of, and the, um, and the idea that contact with green nature, um, is beneficial to us it is, is a great, you know, and I, I have no problem with that. It's just the term because, um, as I hinted at just now, um, Nature is more than just the green stuff we see here, you know, it's uh, or even living creatures, plants and animals without the atmosphere, which many argue, you know, that the planet is an organism. It's one big organism and the atmosphere is the biggest, I don't know, organ, right? Because without that, there are no plants and there are no living animals either. The atmosphere is what sustains the vast majority of them so that my my. My nitpicking with bio, the word biophilia is it's too narrow. It, the, the word that I've heard and prefer is ecophilia. It's not as catchy perhaps, but it does include everything that's natural and not just the obvious stuff. Um, as I said, um, there's no there's no greenery without the the blue atmosphere and the and the and the blue oceans. One last thing uh, Christina, before before we go off, um, there's a big overlap between the three elements that I've been focusing on for the psychological and human uh, and physiological benefits of building occupants. Um, There's an overlap between sunlight, wind and rain and their movements being psychologically and physiologically beneficial to us in otherwise static indoor environments. But that overlap is with what I and in, in the architectural profession call uh, passive environmental controls, which you may have to translate. Maybe I can translate. But basically, anything unlike AC that does not consume electricity or another form of power. So natural ventilation. You were talking about Osipov, absolutely. Uh, Daylighting instead of artificial lighting, because artificial lighting, especially in office environments, generates enormous amounts of heat. Mm-hmm. then you have to turn up the AC and it's a vicious circle, right? I see parking structures throughout Honolulu on day, like, days like today with electrical lighting on all day. And I don't think the cars care, right? <laughs> um, you know, that is about as wasteful as, you know, it's just it's not just burning dollars, it's burning our atmosphere, right? There's no need for that. It's just poor design. It could be naturally lit, right? And it would be better for us and better for the planet. So there's a big overlap that the natural indoor animation that I'm encouraging is a way not only of helping ourselves psychologically and physiologically, but also of drawing attention to things like shading, natural ventilation, daylighting, passive cooling, um, rainwater harvesting, which at the moment, they're proven to be very effective means of saving energy, saving money, saving the planet. Two, you know, three really big bottom lines, but they're under use very often because they are so passive that people don't notice them. Mm-hmm. So these animation, natural animation te- techniques are a way of drawing attention to shading, drawing attention to daylighting, uh, drawing attention to natural ventilation, passive cooling, Um, rainwater harvesting and and once a conversation starts then especially with the younger generation um, you know somebody might say well that's cool what is it and that begins a conversation which ends hopefully with well the reason why it's a good idea to turn the lights off during the day is because those lights cost money but the main reason is that they cost the environment which ultimately will cost us the ultimate price So I hope you can see that it begins, or these conversations, they don't all have to begin with the dreaded, starving polar bear, which, you know, just makes me want to cry, right? And makes me feel helpless. They can start with poetry, things that are beautiful, but they they can go to the same place, which is, this is beautiful. It's also absolutely essential to our Continued existence. Right? Now,
0: have um, you before we literally jump off? <laughs> have you um, either designed uh, a home of this caliber, or maybe is there is there an example that that is out there that uses? I mean, it would be really cool to see the yeah. what you're um, talking about and the design that you're talking about to go hand in hand with the actual, you know, energy efficiency side of things and yeah the, the, the uh,
1: nearest we got to that uh yeah it's a great question uh christina that um uh, the the examples in the book naturally animated architecture are they come from many different places a, a lot of them come from my own house in which i didn't design but i set up a number of experiments to illustrate these how simple um, retrofitting these. Uh, so I can't remember out of offhand, hand, um, but there were probably um, eight, a dozen examples in the book that come from my own house. I mean, I don't usually flag them, but I, I know which ones they are. Uh, but we did uh, we did one set of experiments where we actually designed a prototype light shelf. and a light shelf for those who don't understand, uh, are not familiar is is a shelf that is normally put just inside a window that takes excess daylight and it throws it to the back of a room. So you, you've you often, think of a typical hotel room, right? It's very bright near the window and really dim at the back. Well, a light shelf can even that out so it's less bright inside the window where you don't really need it and that light is bounced back. What we did was designed a water light shelf and that sat outside the window, it's in the book, um, uh, sat outside the window, about an inch of water it was being disturbed by the wind, so that sunlight when it hit that would project moving light patterns, patterns that were moving with the wind on the um, interior ceiling. And we put that on uh, a medical waiting room window. And we questioned the waiting patients and by and large, they really did uh, appreciate the well, they called it a positive distraction. But, uh, you know, when you're with the reason we chose a medical waiting room is we wanted a place where people are stressed so waiting is stressful think of traffic jams right none of us likes you know most of us don't like waiting because we want to get on with something right um, and then waiting for waiting, waiting to see a doctor and you know potentially getting a an unwelcome prognosis you know so these are stressed people and and uh, the water light shelf, animated effects on the ceiling and floor of that space um had a a, a significant calming effect um self reported we were not allowed to actually fit those patients up there all sorts of hippo requirements you know for <laughs> us to there. yeah you know, so we, we we just gave them questionnaires but otherwise we've actually been able to prove with controlled experiments so um Sheila thank you so much for giving me this opportunity and uh um, I do hope that we can get the recording, the, the video recording up, so that um, uh, people that, that are kind of still questioning, I wonder what this looks like, can kind of put some images. Um,
0: For sure. Uh, I think I think it would be just fine, and we'll be able to do that as well. And of course, if you aren't able to check it out on YouTube, then you'll be able to go to that website that we had mentioned. So What I wanted to um, say, I guess, just before anything, um, is there anything, any place that someone could find you or how do they reach out to you or email? Yeah, um, uh,
1: these days, my apartment. (laughs) Um, I'm not going to give you my home address, but uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, My email is uh, knute at hawaii.edu. And that's the easiest way to get hold of me Um, uh, and I'm very responsive to email, um, and would be happy to respond. Uh, so there is this, um, the website illustrates the one that you've just mentioned, illustrates the book and the book is, is available if, if anybody's interested And I would recommend the electronic form, which is, uh, 20 bucks or less, and that contains all the videos, like some 50 videos. Um, but there is a more expensive print version as well, so. Again, um, thank you so much, uh, Christina, for giving me this opportunity. Um, I'm always happy to talk about this subject. It's close to my heart and I I know you need to be somewhere. So I'm gonna um, let you go.
0: Well, thank you so much. I just wanna wrap this up. And that's all I have for everybody today. So thanks for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast at www.smartlivinghi.org. You can also follow us on Instagram, which is at smart underscore living underscore Hawaii. And like us on Facebook. Until next time, live smart. Mahalo. Mahalo. Bye.